Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hey there! And today we are joined by our friend, G. Hi! Today we're talking about Moana and Wanderlust, so spoiler alert for Moana. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, G, thank you for coming back. You've been on the show a couple of times now. But this is the first time with our new format. So do you want to tell the, the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I definitely have this wanderlust addiction, if you will. I'm originally from California. I picked one of the furthest places in the U.S. to go to school, New York. And from there, I took every and any opportunity to study, work, and live abroad. And I actually was part of the first two students who started the intern abroad program with the help of two departments at Mount St. Mary College. And it allows more students to intern abroad every year, which is quite exciting for a really small school. So basically, you were the reason that our study abroad program at Mount St. Mary College is as good as it is. Intern abroad. Intern abroad. Oh, man, see, I... I don't even listen to you while we're recording. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you were my RA for a semester before mm-hmm. you went abroad. And one of the first things you said to me, are you going to China? You should go to China. And I was like, that's a, a, an option that I can do? <laughs> yes. I had just been abroad and I was going back abroad yeah. uh, with less than four months in between. So I never had a fake ID because I was always legal abroad. Fun fact. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I did have a fake passport, though, because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but G-Unit, has anything happened this week or the past couple of weeks? Any fun story you want to tell us about? I would say I've just been really focusing on pure self-improvement. I've been reading a few self-help books. I recommend them. They're the You Are the Badass series by Jen Sincero. And also, I've been starting a new workout regimen, which I haven't done since Dance Team, which was back in 2015. Uh, And I've been doing the bar workout. No, it's not pronounced bar-a. And I've been going every day since April 1st. That's good to know, because I definitely read it (laughs) bar-a. Yeah. So now I won't sound like an idiot. (laughs) Although, it sounds like I'm going to the bar, like Mm -hmm. alcoholic, every day. But no, I'm going to work out every day. Wow. Um, I had a similar transformation last year, so I'm a year ahead of you, punk. I had a lot of steam in the beginning of the year, and then I got so tired. (laughs) But I've been I've been I've been kind of steady. So we'll see. We'll see if a year from now when G's a year into a year into it, if I'll be like every day at bar like she is. Right. Well, you got to find your own bar, if you will. And it's a new month. Set a new intention. Mm-hmm. Hashtag June. Hashtag June. <laughs> uh, it's officially six months since oh, our New Year's resolutions. Our New Year's resolutions. So it's, no, that'd it's, be July 1st. You got one month. You're right. I just did six and it was like half of 12, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's been exactly since six months since I've been a guest on your show. Oh. And this is also our 50th episode. (laughs) You losers have listened to 50 of these things. (laughs) Get a life. (laughs) 
Um, I will give a quick shout out to all you listeners and say, hey, you have a month to pick up your New Year's resolution again <laughs> so that at the halfway mark, you can claim you've been accomplishing it. Yeah, we won't know the difference. If you're just like, yeah, I lost 20 pounds. I don't know how long it took you to do that. Maybe a month. <laughs> Even if you start, you're better off than where you were. So. It's true. Better off than where you were. Just like Moana. <laughs> Sick transition. So... G, do you think you could give us a uh, brief synopsis of Moana? Yes. So Moana is about a teenage girl who must save her people by voyaging out onto the open sea. Another one in the books. See you guys at 51. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had great emotions when I watched Moana for the first time. And I've only seen it once more after that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember having like really high expectations for Moana, and then when I saw it, it exceeded them. And even though I've only seen it probably two or three times, I still remember a lot of it because it's just one of those movies where it like really sticks with you. I think because of all the hype, I almost didn't want to like it because I I was I don't know. It was kind of like the whole... Because it's too on the radar for you. Yeah. So it took me a long time to watch it. I watched it on the way to Hawaii, so that was really nice. Um, And I appreciate all the work that went into it. And even though I didn't want to like it because of the hype, I did like it. So I think it holds up. Um, I think we can go around and share our fan reviews. As a fan, I'm going to give this movie four and a half stars. That's right. You thought they were gone? What? Half stars are back. (laughs) Um, What? (laughs) I can't quite put my finger on why, but I want to give Moana five stars. But even as a fan, something in my brain is saying, like, no, Joe, 4.5. And so maybe I'm wrong because I can't explain it, and so it is a five star. But just because of that weird voice in my head, I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Yeah, you don't always need to know why something isn't to your liking. And this goes especially like with relationships or dating or meeting new people. Like if you can't put your finger on it, that doesn't mean that it's not true. Trust your instinct. Mm. Um, I would give Moana four stars. I really want to give it five stars. And the reason I took the star away is definitely a nitpick. Uh, It has to do with the pig and the advertising. Mm. But it also has to do with, uh, I guess, the way that the movie hit its beats, which I want to get into later. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to talk about the pig later. (laughs) I would also give Moana a four. I'm nodding along to everything you both are saying. And I think it's because the flow of the plot isn't exactly to a normal formula, which I'm used to. But I think that that's okay for this movie because it serves a purpose. But for me, it makes not uncomfortable, but I'm just not used to it. So I can't give it the fifth star because I don't really know why. But I guess I'm trusting my instincts on this one. Just like Moana did. (laughs) Um, As a critic, I'll probably keep it at a four and a half. For similar reasons to what you guys said of like kind of the formatting, even though I'm sure they're... uh, is a thematic purpose. For me as a critic, I'm going to give it four and a half 
Also, no white people in the movie. Can't <laughs> can't have that. How do you know someone isn't half and was colonized? That's a good point. You know what? Five stars. <laughs> wow, Joe. I'm so proud of you for finally taking a stand against, you know, the establishment, like, bringing it down hard on Yeah, Caucasians. when's it gonna be my time? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm actually gonna bump it up to a five as a critic. What I've discussed already in the short two minutes that I've talked um, about, like, the beats being hit weirdly, I think, uh, Gene, you mentioned it's purposeful. There's a theme behind it. Um, as a fan, it's not effective enough. It sort of takes me out of the movie because it's different. But as a critic, I see it as like a, a form of theatrics and like almost like figurative language and symbolism that is worthwhile. And I think we do need to break a mold. Like the storytelling has been a bit exhaustive lately. I would also bump my rating up from my original 4 to a 4.5 as a critic. What? Because I don't know if anything is perfect. I don't know if anything is worth a 5. But they put so much work into this movie. I don't know if it was for the right reasons. But they did. And I can appreciate that. So I would bump that up to a 4.5. Yeah, the the movie Us uh, gets a 5. That's it. (laughs) Actually given 5 stars pretty often. Yeah. (laughs) I have not. Yeah, uh, G-Unit stopped listening to our podcast ever since she wasn't on it. I'm focusing on bar. <laughs> Just um, but yeah, I definitely want to get into what I like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, I love the characters. I think all the characters are multidimensional. I especially love Moana's thirst for adventure and her guilt because of it. Um, She's taught from the beginning, like, this is home. And then because of that, when she wants to travel, she thinks, like, what is home not enough? Is my family not enough? And she almost feels shame about it. But then we sort of give her a purpose to travel, and it happens to fit with her need to travel, and it's it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, the multidimensional characters, I loved Maui, how he's presented to us in the beginning as like cocky and you see that he steals the heart of Tafiti and so that basically is the inciting incident and you think it's because he's like seeking greatness or power but then towards the end of the movie you find out he's seeking acceptance and he was like oh I did that so I could give it to the humans and then the humans would love me because you know I'm supposed to be this great hero it wasn't so like he could show off or anything so i uh, similar to how moana has like an arc and a purpose Mm -hmm. so going back to why i gave it a higher critic rating is because the developers of the movie put together what they called an oceanic trust made up of linguists cultural experts um, people from the different polynesian islands in order to make sure that they didn't culturally appropriate the movie. They also adapted it to other languages, uh, such as Maori and Tahitian, which is only spoken... Maori is spoken by 150,000 people, and according to UNESCO, it is vulnerable for being lost. And Tahitian is 68,000 speakers in French Polynesia, and that is definitely endangered, as classified by UNESCO. So it was cool that they, you know, 
their characters are of these people, and they also adapted the film. They also changed some of the scenes to fit the cultural beliefs. For example, in Maori, it is wrong to turn your back to the sea, so they made that scene more humorous, and they were careful with the wording in order to support the Maori people. Right. Uh, yeah, we've definitely come a long way since Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the first Aladdin. The first Aladdin, yeah. yeah. Uh, the second Aladdin, not Revenge of Jafar, but as in the... <laughs> uh, it's Return of Jafar, okay? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but the live-action remake, uh, you can definitely see a distinct difference in care for respect of the culture that they are referencing. Um, but still, I mean, there's still a ways to go, mm-hmm. um, at least with the with the new Aladdin. Um, with with Moana, I think I think they pretty much uh, they nailed it. Based on the research that occurred, they really enveloped themselves in the culture to make sure that the appropriation was non-existent. Mm-hmm. And gee, I think you brought this up. Um, the I think it's called the Wayfinder song. At one point, just transitions into some Polynesian language. I'm not sure exactly which one. Mm-hmm. But um, similar to what we talked about with Coco, they don't translate it. They, it's just, they start singing in this native language. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to know what the words are. You can just appreciate it for what it is. And so I think this really is like a step in the right direction where it's like you can appreciate other stuff, things that are like outside of what your culture is. Yeah. Um more into the uh, plot and character mm-hmm. again, I want to point out how much I enjoyed that there wasn't romance, and I think mm-hmm. that's also a step in the dire- right direction for Disney, because it wasn't about a girl who then fell in love with a guy and then like worked to get to each other. A girl becomes friends with a guy, and then they work in tandem to accomplish a goal, and it's not... Uh, the guy is saving the day, and it's not the girl is saving the day. They both have their own abilities that provide a solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate the symbolism for all the character names. Uh, Moana herself means ocean in Maori, Hawaiian, and other Polynesian languages. And that fits her. It's unpredictable. It is everywhere, but also not constant, wanting to be discovered, etc., etc. Um, hey, hey means chicken, which is really meta. Um, <laughs> and her grandmother, Tali, means story. So that's important as well. Since you brought up hey, hey, I think we need to talk about Poi the pig. Yeah, I guess it's time. <laughs> Let's uh, rip off that band-aid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, if anyone remembers the previews and trailers and toys, and toys, there was an adorable little pig named Poi, who is in the movie in the opening song, and he is cute and adorable and a pig, and his name is Poi. Um, but then the rest of the movie happens, <laughs> and he's not there. He stays on the island, and guess where the plot of the movie is? <laughs> not on the island. I have a question. It's a theory I just thought of. Go what if the pig represents the white people you wanted to have in the movie and it just attracted all the white people to see it and it played no role in the plot 
but it got you in the seats to watch it. And it's cute and, <laughs> like, uh, what's, like, approachable. Okay. So to, <laughs> just, to, just to unpack this. Let's unpack this theory. Because I did not notice myself that the pig wasn't involved. I really didn't. That was, like, the first thing I noticed. Yeah. I was not like, where's a, this pig? That's not an issue for me. Well, yeah, when she was on the boat, I was like, is the pig not going with her? <laughs> I just <laughs> found the pig to be useless, so I didn't The pig care. was useless. Yeah, that was the problem. But I didn't, or maybe it's because I ignored the hype that I didn't notice that he was the oh, forefront that's gotta be why. of the merchandise. <laughs> but I do love this fan theory. So yes. there is definitely a an aspect of white culture where they... We, I don't know what, uh, <laughs> uh, love, I guess, like adorable animals. So this idea of here, let's include a pig, gets all the white people interested, <laughs> gets them in seats, and then the pig is like, oh, but I'm useless to the story. And then the white people are like, but this isn't about me. What's happening? And then they're trapped. <laughs> I do like the idea of, because I think the pig was definitely supposed to be like, hey, this is a regular Disney princess movie. She has a cute, adorable little animal friend that's going to get in hijinks with her. But like we've sort of been mentioning, they're kind of getting rid of a lot of Disney formula. And so I think it was like, hey, don't worry. It's this the thing that you like. But then they flip it on their head. I could see someone on the team being like, you know what, also, uh, this is like the white people that's normally in the movie. Um, <laughs> it's definitely, I don't think we'll ever get an answer, but it's definitely an interesting theory. I don't know. I think if we tweet at Lin-Manuel, he often responds to his fans. That's true, but I don't know if he had any part in the pig decision. Oh. I don't know if he okayed or denied the pig. And they named the pig Poi, which is... A lazy white man. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, it is a traditional Hawaiian slash Polynesian topping or condiment. I don't know how you would classify it to dip delicious meats into. Oh, like like like, you, like so you, white like people pork. like. <laughs> I'm a fan. Um, I also want to get into the music, and since mm -hmm. I've already mentioned Lin Manuel, um, is really good. We've mentioned yeah. that it translates or it segues from English to not English mm -hmm. without missing a beat, without giving subtitles, and we accept it because it's just part of the culture that is being expressed in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is the uh, creator, writer of Hamilton. And In the Heights. And In the Heights. And so if you've heard music from Hamilton or in the Heights, as soon as the opening number for Moana starts, you're like, oh yeah, he, he wrote this as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's there's definitely uh, lyrics where I'm like, oh, Lin-Manuel. <laughs> and then I hear his voice all of a sudden, and I'm like, oh, Lin-Manuel! <laughs> um, but do you guys have a, uh, a favorite song from Moana by any chance? Because I, I do have one, and the only reason I'm asking you is so I get to say my thing. That makes sense. Am I sounding white right now? Boy? <laughs> yeah, you're the you're the pig that we're you're the <laughs> um, my favorite songs are probably tied between the shiny song that Tomatoa sings or You're Welcome, sung by The Rock as Maui. Hmm. I find that very interesting. I want to explain why I don't like the crab song, but uh, first I wanna just finish going around saying what our favorites are. Um, I really enjoy How Far I'll Go. Which one's that? 
the most meaningful to me. Yeah, could you sing a snippet of it? Um, we told you this was going to be part be of the Be the perfect episode. daughter, uh, something with water. Wow, that was beautiful. That was um, black man. <laughs> my favorite song is Know Who You Are, which is like only like a two-minute song. Um, and it's when Moana is walking towards the flaming lava <gasps> monster mm. and is like, this doesn't define you. And I'm like, oh, I'm crying. Oh, I thought gosh. that was a, a reprise of How Far I'll Go or something. Um, no, there is a reprise, though. In there the, is? In, in mm-hmm. the middle of it, but it's not there. Cinematically, that scene is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and it's actually one of another thing that I like about Moana is that we get the big boss battle scene that everyone appreciates, but that's not the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we end up having a, a next beat where we address the bad monster and solve the problem by being kind to it mm-hmm. and identifying, like, wait, someone hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... <laughs> hurt people, hurt people. Did you guys think that... Tafiti, when she was back to like the green self, didn't she look like Rihanna? I think she looks like Rihanna. <laughs> uh, that's all. That's, that's I all love I how you say. said Tafiti looks like Rihanna, and Rihanna does not look like Tafiti. That's how important Rihanna is. Yeah. And did you know we're all pronouncing Rihanna wrong? It's except Ri- you. No, Rihanna is correct. I know. So except for you. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like no. <laughs> Um, Have yeah. you ever seen a side-by-side of Tahiti, so the island of Tahiti, laying down, and the real island? Yeah. It's very close. Um, wow, that's... No, I actually haven't seen that picture. It's, like, I'll, dead I'll on. It yeah. It's pretty So neat. it's interesting how they really use the stories of the people. Yeah. Which I think can bring <laughs> yeah. us back to, to the crab song, because there are crabs that exist in the ocean that get shiny things and put it on themselves. Mm-hmm. That's like something that they do. Mm. And the reason I don't like the crab song is because it's like inconsequential. It kind of just disrupts the story. Um, there is sort of some character growth where like, oh, they can work together, blah, mm. blah, 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 blah. But... I just feel like they could have addressed that on the ocean or somewhere else. It kind of just seemed like a song that existed because they wrote it, and they were like, wow, let's put this in the movie. I can agree with that. Um, The crab song definitely didn't need to happen. Um, I think the crab scene was important, but the song, you're right, was inconsequential. But I will say, I think a lot of the songs in the movie are inconsequential in the sense that they don't move the plot. They just kind of describe what's happening or how characters are feeling. It's a musical. Yeah, uh, and I guess to me, when I hear a main character talk about their feelings and their growth, like um, when Moana like sings, I am Moana, and she's discovering mm-hmm. and really solidifying who she is, maybe it doesn't push the plot along, but it completes the character arc. Whereas the crab existed for that scene and for that song, and we don't address him again. They do talk about Maui a lot in that scene. I I totally agree with you. Like, they could have done it in a different way, Mm -hmm. but I think we get some of Maui's story from that. And maybe since this is Moana's movie and we're so focused on Moana, that's why the the song seems, like, uh, unsatisfactory. 
because yeah. we're like, this isn't Maui's story. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I don't know if this is going to get picked up on the mic, but it's definitely raining right now. Yeah. So this is me mentioning it in case I can't edit it out. <laughs> so going back to the dis- disruption and the showing of Maui's character, it also goes back to Alex's point where this is a story that disrupts the Disney princess formula and it shows both of them are able to work together especially in this scene because you don't know if Maui's intentions are good and they happen to be mm-hmm. as you discover in the scene and Moana is stronger more clever than she even knows that's another time where Maui tries to fight the enemy like a big boss battle and Moana's like no we just have to outsmart it use yeah. our brains so I didn't think of that until right now. I learned so much on this podcast. <laughs> and no one else does. <laughs> going back to the unpredictability of the story and her movie and the ocean itself, when you travel, you can plan as much as you want, but until you discover your strengths and weaknesses and how to work around them, one, your trip gets even better, but two, uh, you, you just can't predict anything. Mm-hmm. So you're going to grow from it. And it's not going to be your favorite part of your movie of life or however you want to phrase that. But it was necessary for you to discover why you needed to, you know, defeat the obstacle. Mm-hmm. Right. No, uh, I definitely can agree with all of those points. And I agree that with the song in, I don't think it necessarily takes away from the movie. Um, so so I'll just leave it at that. With the With the disruption aspect... I do like the the symbolism of this of the dis- I like that we're being disturbed <laughs> to prove a point. We're so mad by by water. <laughs> uh, as a critic, I love that there's disruption within the storytelling to represent the disruption that the ocean provides, the unpredictability. But as a fan, I find it um, to interrupt my immersion of the story. Uh, It definitely reminds me of this YouTube video. It's about 10 minutes long, and it's called The Horribly Slow Murderer with the Extremely Inefficient Weapon. And the whole plot of this YouTube short is that a guy with a spoon is chasing another guy and hitting him with the spoon over and over again, hypothetically until he dies. And the scenes keep playing where he's trying to get away, he's trying to get away, but the spoon guy always finds him and hits him. And there's a narrator as well. And the joke ends about two minutes in. And then there's eight more minutes. And the 10-minute clip is representative of the inefficiency of this weapon and that he is a slow murderer. And so there's symbolism in there. But the joke ended. (laughs) And so now I'm stuck watching eight more minutes of this. So I I just wouldn't have used that form of symbolism to drive my point home to unimmerse people from the story. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Alex, I think you might be on the wrong side of history here. No, when you watch this YouTube video, <laughs> you <laughs> No, that's what I'm saying. It has been a while since I've watched it, so maybe if I were to watch it now, I'd be like, this is too long. But I remember it getting to the point where the joke was over, 
And then it was over for so long. I was like, man, oh man, they're still going. And then I was back into it. You know what YouTube video did successfully do it? Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks had a joke that ended, Mm -hmm. then lasted for so long that it came back, and I thought it was funny again. See, that's interesting, because when I watched Too Many Cooks for the first time, I was like, oh, this isn't for me, and I stopped it like two minutes in. So maybe we're just, maybe we just have different tastes. Wow. (laughs) Joe, we can't have a podcast together. We have two different opinions about something. Over. <laughs> oh, hey, G-Unit. I didn't see you there. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't seen either of these YouTube videos. We got a little bit far from the movie, though. But I can agree. As a as a moviegoer, seeing that sort of, like, meta symbolism of, like, yeah, like, your journey's not always going to go as planned. And it's like the ocean, which is where we're discovering, and it's where Moana gets her name. That might be lost on you. But as a critic, you can certainly appreciate, like, wow, they really put a lot of thought into that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about wanderlust and what that means. Hello, listeners. This is a fellow listener, not a robot, invented to advertise for two bald men and friend. I'm here to tell you about the new mailing list that Joe and Alex are constructing in order to more easily communicate with you the fans. I mean us, the fans. As a reward, they are offering bonus content like logos, episodes, Fandango tickets. Send them your emails on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook. Thank you. I will now self-destruct in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Boy, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to go out and purchase those goods or services. Yum, yum. So, Geraldine, I think you have the most travel experience out of the three of us here. Which is why you're going last to this question. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think it'd be fun if we went around and talked about where we've been, where our favorite place was, maybe where our least favorite place was. Um, I'll start. I have never been out of the country. I've only been to places in the U.S. I've been to the tri-state area, so Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, North Carolina, South Carolina. I drove through Virginia. Counts. Counts. Florida, Alabama, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles. Wow. I definitely, when I think about travel, I often think about places I want to see in the United States because when I think about travel, I think about quote-unquote obtainable travel, which I think Mm -hmm. is something I have to overcome. Um, So I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to Los Angeles and like places like that. Um, But where I have been already, the most exotic place in the United States, Alaska. Uh, I went to Denali National Park. And then I've also been to Colombia a few times because that's where a lot of my family is. And I've been to Mexico. Very cool. Uh, In terms of the U.S., uh, I don't think it's a bad thing that you have, quote-unquote, only in italics Mm -hmm. been in the U.S. Because I think our country is huge. And every sometimes even by county, everything is so different. So it's Mm -hmm. important to really reflect on what we have in our own, as you said, obtainable places. In the U.S., remarkable places I've been to, 
were New Orleans. I went for Mardi Gras. That was awesome. Ooh. It's also great any other time of the year. It's basically <laughs> Mardi Gras all the time. Oh, <laughs> that's good to know. Um, I also went to the Kentucky Derby. That was really cool. I bet on the winner. I won like $15 because I only bet one, but still. Wait, wait, wait. What were the odds <laughs> that the winner of the Kentucky Derby got you $15? They were really high, so I should have bet. I guess 1 mm. to 15 odds? Yeah. yeah. I guess that math does itself. <laughs> um, I don't know how horse betting works. It's kind of interesting. Very AKA interesting. we don't know how it works. <laughs> I, my dad was a racehorse trainer and jockey, mm-hmm. so I knew a little bit about it. That's why I'd wanted to go. My grandpa owned a uh, construction company, and I asked my dad what happened to it, and he goes, Grandpa liked to bet on the ponies, and he wasn't very good at it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. So I think we're on the same page, you and I. Yeah. That's why I only bet $1, yeah. <laughs> because I was really scared. Um, outside the U.S., my most recent trip was to Thailand. That was amazing. It was not on the top of my list. It was awesome. If you're only an English speaker, I would still recommend for you to go. The people are very welcoming. My next place that I'm dreaming of is Morocco. A goal of mine that I just thought up of within the last few months was to see all the continents Mm -hmm. before I turn 27. So I only have two left. Um, And then my favorite place is probably Barcelona because... Barcelona. That's disgusting. I'm so disgusting. (laughs) That's like a debated thing even in that country because people from Barcelona don't say the TH. It's a very Spanish thing and they are Catalan. Mm -hmm. So there is a difference. Um, It was because I wasn't supposed to go to Barcelona. I was supposed to go to Paris. But due to my French not being as good as I thought, Um, I didn't want to pay more money, and I was already fluent in Spanish, so I went to Barcelona instead, and it ended up being the best thing for me. It was a disruption in my own sequence of events, if you will. You Uh, are Moana. A Moana, (laughs) if you you might say. Wow, this flight just pulled a Moana on me. That's one way that'll cheer me up when I'm stranded during a layover. (laughs) Um, you mentioned the language barrier a couple times, and that's definitely why I feel when I think of travel, I typically think of places in the U.S. because I am just, like, comfortable. I'll be like, I know that I'll speak the language there, and that's a big uh, thing for me, I guess. Yeah, I definitely, for a large part of my life, I was a homebody, and I definitely felt like... I don't need to travel. I don't have that passion for travel. And then even like all the way throughout college, just enjoyed where I was. And it really wasn't until I graduated college and I started hitting new places. Even, and this is throughout my life, I've been to Colombia a couple times. <laughs> to me, it was like, oh, United States or Colombia. Like, those were my two homes, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And so I still consider that being a homebody. I just got lucky to be traveling outside of the country for my other home. And then I started realizing, like, there's a lot to learn from travel. I sort of thought of it as just a, a luxury or an expense that I could be using for something else. Um, and my views have changed. Yeah, I think I'm still in flux where 
I think I've, I think I would definitely say like I'm a homebody, um, in the sense of like I've never been like oh I want to go here like I can't wait for my next trip. But I think once I started going to places and traveling, then I was like oh I guess there is like other stuff to see outside of New York. Maybe I should like go other places. I think in terms of the language barrier, if it doesn't scare you to be in another state where different colloquial words are being used that are totally different from what you're used to, then you have the power in you to go anywhere that's at least safe to travel to. Even if you're afraid of the language barrier, the UK, Ireland, a lot of places, because we're so fortunate that we're from an English-speaking nation, Mm -hmm. um, everyone is so adaptable to that, and they will help you. Even in places like Paris, where they're known to be more rigid, they'll still help you, and they're very familiar with English. So I think if you have the ability, like I said, to go to Virginia, you, that you drove through it, mm-hmm. you have the ability to go to France. Yeah. Uh, so, so Gina, can you talk to us a little bit about wanderlust? I mean, I'm going to break it down real quick. It's wander. Lust. So you're lusting for... Let's break down a little bit. <laughs> so, Juan, the first syllable is... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then there's dur. <laughs> like a dur. <laughs> like, like a dur, you want to <laughs> lust over Juan. Yeah. Like Juan is my favorite. Yeah. Um, But it's, a, it's simple to break down. Like, you're craving travel. And what is that like for you? So... If you want the derivative of wanderlust, it is technically a German word, but it cannot actually be fully described in English. It comes from the German word for to hike, which is wandern. Uh, And then lust, as we know, is almost more passionate than love. Like you get horny. Like you're horny for hiking. hiking. Yeah. Right. So... I would classify myself as a synonym for wanderlust, which is another German word. It's called Fernway, and it is far sickness, a longing for far off places. It is the opposite of homesickness. Mm. What's the word that means like it's either feeling nostalgic for something that hasn't happened yet? Oh, in German? Yeah. Because it sounds like the word you just used, or it's like. I guess missing a place you've never been. Um, I think that's some people's definition of Fernway. Oh, okay. In some, uh, like, Instagram posts or whatever. Uh, <laughs> hashtag not all those who wander are lost. Yes. Yeah. Which is a great quote, but I do make fun of uh, it because it's used so often. <laughs> yes. It used to be the heading under my Instagram. Now it's catcher if you can, so. <laughs> right, because you've realized the other one's cliche. Yeah, I just, it put me in a category of people I didn't want to identify with. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly saying there's a wrong way to travel, but. Uh, that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> loaded. Yeah, loaded. Um, I will just real quick say, I don't think there's anything wrong with cliches, quote unquote. So I, I do make fun of the type of person that says not all those who wander are lost. But there is a very strong and true meaning to that that people do use very well. It's just it was taken on by a certain group of people, and so now I kind of make fun of it. Agreed. I think it's perfectly ironic that the following 
line is all that glitters is not gold. So it's perfect for those Instagrammers who are just going somewhere to take a picture next to a monument in the most perfectly, you know, photoshopped way where there's no other tourists. Like, Mm -hmm. please. And all that glitters is truly not gold because if you knew the sacrifice it took to get there to cross it off your list, whoever you are, it it wasn't easy. Right. Or even the sacrifice to create whatever piece that you're taking a picture on. Correct. Machu Picchu, the pyramids, a third example. Yeah. yeah. The Roman Colosseum. No, no. Just no. third example was plenty. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were telling me to name one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I think two is enough. <laughs> So, G, you mentioned the sacrifice that it takes to travel, and I think that's where a lot of adverseness to traveling comes from. That's certainly something I think about a lot um, when I'm like, well, I don't want to travel, but it doesn't matter because I couldn't afford it even if I did. You know, like, so it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. um, justification kind of double sword i threw in like three different yeah we'll, things we'll in pick, there pick, listeners pick which one yeah applies. tell us on twitter <laughs> <laughs> um i i agree i think if there was a way to just be at the place mm-hmm. that you want to be at a lot more people would do it that's why i love the movie jumper so much <laughs> you love the movie <laughs> jumper oh lord um poor hayden christensen <laughs> but I also think that sense of sacrifice adds to the story of when you get to your destination. I think Mm -hmm. a lot about Miley Cyrus. You know, (laughs) it's the climb. I think she was the first person to say that. Yeah, she was the first person (laughs) that was like, hey, you're going to get there, but it's going to be hard. (laughs) Yeah. She was like, hey, you can go the distance. (laughs) First person to ever say that in song form. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. First person to ever say, hey, we're moving on up. First person to ever do that in song form. How many more do you have? So. (laughs) Gina, I think you have something to say. I. Okay, so first of all, let me check my privilege. (laughs) I come from a country with a passport that allows me to go to different countries. That being said. I don't have obligations in terms of children. I don't have to take care of anyone financially but myself. And I have college debt, but, I mean, I don't have... I have prioritized travel, and maybe it's wrong, and maybe it's right, over other things. That's where I would use the word sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in college, I didn't stay all four years in my comfortable bubble because I knew if I'm going to take on college loans, I might as well apply the same price to being where I'm learning about in the history books. And that's going to test me, but I'm okay with being unsure if, if I'm going to be okay. Um, in terms of cost, if you cut out drinking for a month, mm-hmm. if you cut out eating out for a month, if I'm just saying a month as like an regular you know form of time but Mm -hmm. any amount of time basically pick a place that you've always wanted to go for whatever reason it is it is personal to you and budget out what you think that would cost and it is cheaper than you might think for example when i see people going to disney world every vacation 
and then they complain to me, you're so lucky because you got to go to Thailand. It's like, wait a minute. It's not like a I dreamt and under my pillow appeared a ticket for Thailand. Yeah, no. under your pillow's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> that I used to rob people to pay for my ticket to Thailand. <laughs> it's like, no. In fact, I said I wanted to go here. I wrote out. I looked up tickets. I looked up the optimal time to go where it's cheaper. And I have a job that, although it doesn't pay well, allows me the flexibility to work remotely. That is also a privilege I have. Mm-hmm. And I have learned to live below my means so that I can put travel ahead of other things, like a career, for example, unfortunately, but fortunately, because I know for me, travel is a positive borderline addiction, and it helps me feel alive and thrive and overcome my you know, small personal struggle at the time. Yeah, I definitely think there's that mixed bag or mixed feeling of finding that line between, well, I want to be comfortable um, or I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing to, to live, but then a lot of people are then forgetting to do the living part. Everyone's goal should be that fine line of making ends meet as well as exploring what excites you. For mm-hmm. some people, it's travel. For some people, it's developing hobbies or becoming experts in things. Um, but overall, it, even if your passion isn't travel, I think there are benefits to traveling. Mm-hmm. Just as an example, do you think how much would you think a trip to Thailand would cost? For two weeks. Oh, man. So because you asked me, now I think it's less. 1400 No, is that really what you would think, though? Oh, no. Well, like, per- if, per- without per- being prompted, I'd say, like, what, $3,000, $4,000? My- two weeks, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, two weeks with flights and hotel. Yeah, I'd probably hazard at least, like, 2500 Okay. But given this context, I was <laughs> okay, like, Okay, sorry, if it. I did not probe you. Okay, so it cost me... for two weeks in Thailand. So now think about if you go to Florida, what's that ticket? Two, three hundred? Mine was four hundred to Thailand. And then I stayed two weeks. You're spending at least half that in a weekend. Mm -hmm. So if you break it down that way and sort of make it more conceptual. Right. You you can go wherever you want to go. Your limitation is your not wanting to be out of your comfort zone. And that's really mm-hmm. hard to overcome. Don't get me wrong. Right. And again, with acknowledging the privileges that many of us have. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree. Just in terms of whether or not you want to travel, I think one of the many benefits of travel is getting out of your comfort zone because one of the best ways to develop empathy is to get out of your comfort zone. Um, Joe, you you talked earlier about like... I sort of limit myself to where I travel to where I can speak English. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think if any of us had that sentiment and then traveled to somewhere where English wasn't the dominant language, you could experience a sense of what it's like to not be able to communicate to the best of your ability and have a lot more empathy for people you might be living amongst that have trouble communicating. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you might also develop uh, a sense of like communication isn't just about the words you say and you develop a, a greater appreciation for other forms of communication. Yeah, that's um, I'm glad you said the word appreciation because um, we talked about this a little bit on our Coco episode and gee, you brought up the uh, Oceanic Foundation. Oceanic what? Trust, I believe. Yeah, the Oceanic Trust that Disney put together to make sure that they didn't culturally appropriate or offend anybody while they were making Moana. I think traveling and living in a culture is the best and easiest way to learn how to appreciate it because you're actually doing the things that the people from those countries do. Right. Like, is it a catch-22? I don't want to travel because I'm comfortable where I am you're the person who's going to most the benefit from travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think also, since we're near New York City, if you're mm-hmm. able to navigate that confusing subway system and communicate with a wide variety of people and you, without even knowing it, I guess you do know it, you're in a hub of multicultural people, mm-hmm. you can go to any other metropolitan city and you will thrive. You'll be surprised. I traveled with a friend just recently who has severe anxiety, and I pushed her to her limits without her knowing it, and she was completely fine. Good for them. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I hate being pushed to my limits, so I would resent you forever. (laughs) What if you didn't know that I did that to you? I wouldn't go on a podcast about it. You don't know who it is. <laughs> um, but I definitely believe that there's a purpose to travel. Uh, whether I've done enough of it, whether I plan to travel a lot in the future, I think everyone should travel at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. And... Gee, you brought up the uh, like the Instagram influencers who take the perfect picture, um, and whether or not this is their um, purpose for traveling. But I think they've sort of created a culture of mm-hmm. at least a subculture with like some people who think like, oh well, like my favorite Instagram person went to France and took this really cool picture, so like now I want to go to France, mm-hmm. and it's like. Yeah, like, maybe once you're there, you'll get a better appreciation for it. But, like, that's kind of a bad reason to want to travel because someone else did it. I don't know if it's a bad reason, and I'm 100% guilty of it. Mm -hmm. You've seen my Instagram. I do that (laughs) shit, too. But I think my philosophy is if you're in a place for at least a week, let's say, you have 48 hours to be the annoying tourist, and the rest of the time, try your best to immerse yourself in their culture. Please don't stay at the Irish bar in whatever city you're in and go there every night and meet only Americans. I just urge you to do that because drinking... Not to do that. Not to do that. I apologize. (laughs) Because with the study abroad kids who I see going, you know, especially to Florence, let's say, they will take all the pictures with all the monuments. Fine. Definitely do that. You're Mm -hmm. there. And... Pictures are important because if you don't have the money to buy souvenirs, your pictures are your souvenirs. So I'm the number one person to sit there and take your pictures for you. I don't care. However, if you're only going to the American bars, 
and only being with Americans, and then you're posting a picture reflecting on how Italy changed you. I'm sorry, I don't believe that you that it did change you. <laughs> you basically just took pictures near a monument and did the same thing you would here. That definitely reminds me of uh, voluntourism, which is a little uh, pun that people use for volunteerism, but people take advantage of it to tour the country. And one of the points that articles make about of the mistake of volunteerism is if you come home and write a blog about how much it changed you and about the experience or the growth that you had, you probably went for the wrong reasons. Not because you shouldn't have had growth, but because you, sh you should be talking about the people who are there, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. about yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult because I think people go with the intention of wanting to help other people. But what they don't realize is it's very unnatural, especially when you're going to help children, for children to have a revolving door of, I apologize, white people coming in and out of their lives, smiling for pictures, and then them leaving, and then a new person coming in. That's like abandonment 101. And... The best way to help support a country is through buying of handmade textiles or products. And I'm guilty of this also, of haggling too much. Mm. And you're undercutting you know, their profit because they want you to have it, but they almost have no power. You're exploiting them. Um, and also there's this website where you can buy livestock and rice for people in underdeveloped countries. Mm. And that is a proven way to also help them. Do you happen to know uh, what that website is? Do your research to make sure that everything is square, but one website would be donate.worldvision.org. For example, you can buy goats and chickens for $110, chickens for $25, other livestock, a family fishing kit, things like that. It'll help their own economy you know, start to build up, and that's how you can help other people. I apologize if you believed that being a missionary or helping children to read in other countries in English was going to help them, but unfortunately, that's not always the case. I understand that people's intent is really good-hearted, and that's great, but it is better to just be a plain tourist and buy products from there and then bring other tourists based on your experience. Yeah, I think volunteerism is definitely like a much broader topic that we could get into on another episode. Mm -hmm. um, but like, at this point, what we're really saying is if, if you want to travel, definitely find out why you want to travel. Why do you want to explore and see if you can find a few unselfish reasons or if they are selfish uh, with good intentions. Because even if it's inward, like I want to learn other cultures because I'm curious, like that's technically selfish, but it doesn't hurt other people. Yeah, I think a big reason to travel is to... Leave your comfort zone, because leaving your comfort zone is the best way to learn about other people and about yourself. And traveling is a great way to be uncomfortable. Yes. I would say a quote is, travel is the only thing you buy that makes you richer. And that is 100% true. I also no, you can also buy stocks, and that'll make you richer. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I was trying to be cliche. Um, another thing is... For me, travel at first began as, I guess, a way for me to tick off things off my list to be, I don't know, famous for something. <laughs> I don't know where I would be famous because there's 
people who have done way more in less time with less resources. But also, I guess it's tied to the guilt factor that Moana feels in terms of leaving her home. I traveled, you know, 3,000 miles away from my parents and my two little sisters, but they get to see that you can break the mold and you don't have to be, quote-unquote, settled down with a partner, you know, buying a house. You can do all of these things and go to these different continents and be uncomfortable by yourself. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next time when we talk about the Sandlot and summer nostalgia. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore bald men. And don't forget to rate and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all so much again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.